Sorry, I'm fumbling. I'll edit this out. That's okay. No, no worries. <laughs> Don't edit it out. People love it when, you know, really? I, I make mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas from Entrepreneur on Fire. You're listening to my friend, Ash Roy. Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast, where you can learn how to systemize, automate, and scale your business via the internet. To access previous episodes and useful productivity tips, go to ProductiveInsights.com. Now, here's your host, Ash Roy. Welcome to ProductiveInsights.com. This is Ash Roy. When you decide to take your business to the next level through good quality business coaching and actionable online strategies, head over to ProductiveInsights.com and book a free 30-minute consultation with me. Hello, everybody. Today, I'd like to invite a very accomplished entrepreneur who's established an eight-figure business in the health supplements industry, Buck Rizvi. I met Buck at the Superfast Business Live conference in March 2015, where he presented some excellent insights around how he grew his business to eight figures through strong core values, hiring rockstar employees, developing world-class customer support, and great business systems. Buck is the founder of RealDoseNutrition.com. And he's here to talk to us about the keys to his success around building this sustainable, high-growth business. So welcome, Buck. Thank you, Ash. Wow, were you talking about me? <laughs> I'm the, you, you got me blushing here. Thank you very much for that great intro. Yeah, most welcome. It's wonderful to have you on the show, and it's wonderful to talk to you again. I, we had some really wonderful conversations at the Superfast Business Conference. I really liked how you talked about how you have built a business through good quality employees, good quality systems, and you know, good ethics, good values. So could you talk to us a little bit about your journey? Give us a bit of an ov- overview of your business and how you got to here. Wow. Yeah. I've, I really consider myself to be fortunate. I spent the first, I want to say, 41 tender years of my life, you know, well, 21 years of my adult life anyway, in a corporate world. Technical job, software development, product management, marketing, various marketing positions, all the way up to being an executive vice president for a software company. So that was a great you know, learning experience to work for someone else and and, and take a, a paycheck, raise, I'm remarried, so I have four kids, but, uh, you know, raise a family. Now I'm raising another family. Wow. <laughs> That's what happens when you get remarried. Yeah. And, and, and in that journey, I'd always in the back of my mind, even when I was back uh, a teenager, I'd always thought about having my own business, you know, doing, being, being my own man. And I've tried various things over the years and I really didn't crack the code on that until, like I said, until I reached about 41 years of age, uh, decided to get into the health space, into the dietary supplement space. Mm-hmm. And uh, just everything seemed to click. I don't know, just that, at that moment in time where it was maybe my, my age and some experience that I had and uh, a passion around health, in this case, dietary supplements. And I was able to figure out how to get products formulated Back, you know, at that point, the internet was still on, was on the scene, and there were you know things that had come around, such as Google AdWords and and other ways to find an audience and reach an audience online, and uh, and I got some help. I mm-hmm. actually got some help from some very very successful people in various areas of you know pro- uh, product development, marketing, direct response, copywriting, and those things. I didn't try to do it on my own, and so I made some. I was lucky enough where I could take some capital that I had squirreled away. Mm-hmm. And I invested in education, I invested in training, right. uh, sought out experts. And that was, you know, that turned out to be also a very smart move for me because I was able to accelerate mm-hmm. and work, at, you know, in a part-time context while I was working my day job, building this dietary supplement company that ultimately was the precursor to Real Dose Nutrition. 
Okay. So, you know, about four years ago, I joined for Now, I built, you know, that I, I launched my first supplement company in, almost 10 years ago, uh, built that into a multi-million dollar business. And then I joined forces with a couple other partners little almost five years ago. And we built that company in less than 18 months to a 10-figure plus business. And, and it continues to grow. And we're really proud of that company. That's my baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we have now hundreds of thousands of customers around the world. We have uh, an outstanding reputation as a health supplement company, mm-hmm. as a business in general, and the way we treat people. In fact, companies like Google have come to us and said, hey, we've done the homework on you. Wow. You're a well-respected company. We want to help you grow. I mean, they literally re- did a report on us, which was amazing. That's awesome. And we've got a BBB. I don't know if Australians are familiar with the Better Business Bureau, but we call it the BBB here in America. And it's just a third-party entity that kind of rates companies independently. Mm-hmm. And they give them a letter, a report card from A to F. And uh, we have an A-plus rating without even being registered or accredited with them, which is a great thing. Congratulations. That's pretty Thank impressive, you. Buck. I mean, that's those are some yeah. serious achievements. Some things that really stood out for me there was you said you didn't try and do it alone. And I think that's a really mm-hmm. important thing that business owners need to think about, that you can't do everything alone as soon as humanly possible or as soon as practical, you need to start involving a team and outsourcing certain things to specialists. Yeah. I, I also think that, wow, I mean, that those are some really serious achievements that you've accomplished in the last 10 years. So kudos to you for that. I mean, that's fantastic. To be approached by Google and, you know, to be rated by the Better Business Bureau as A plus is fantastic. Wow. Okay. So that's your journey so far. And that t- tells us a bit about your background and that's fantastic. So let's talk now a little bit about your view of systems and culture and why that is so important for businesses. Yeah. I mean, uh, I really didn't start applying some of these things until uh, we launched Real Dose, Real Dose Nutrition and it gave us, you know, we had such a success at an early stage that it gave us an opportunity to say, hey, what do we want this company to be? You know, we're really in this for the long haul. We're not looking to make a quick buck. So if we're thinking long term, one of the things that we looked at and held up as a as an example, a lighthouse, if you will, was like the work that uh, Tony Shea was doing over at Zappos. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Zappos operates in, in Australia, but, you know, here in the U.S., they've built up a very successful company and then were yes. acquired by Amazon. Yes. And so Tony, I was able to meet him actually through a friend, another friend of mine, Yannick Silver, who would hold the uh, the underground seminar series here in the U.S., and, you know, he published a book called Delivering Happiness. Mm-hmm. And I read that book. It had a profound impact on me. And it got me to thinking about culture, about core values, how you want to treat customers, and making sure that everything that you do is imbued with this, you know, this idea, this concept of core values. It starts with that. Mm-hmm. And it, the way you communicate to your employees, the way your, communi- your employees communicate to customers, the way you do your advertising, the way you formulate your products, and the way you uh, provide customer care. All of that, mm-hmm. you know. And so that enabled us to sit and think, okay, you know, I, we really like what we see over there at Zappos. Why don't we emulate that? And mm-hmm. we came up with our own, you know, core values we came up, uh, you know, a mission statement kind of fell out of that uh, set of core values. So I think we have maybe 10 or 12 principles that we adhere to. Things such as we always, everything that we do has to pass the mom test, mm-hmm. that we treat each other with respect. You know, even though you're the CEO or an executive at a company, doesn't mean you can beat on your employees <laughs> <laughs> yep. and, and constantly berate them and treat them like dirt because yep. – 
they're going to go and flow that to the customer. And the customer is going to feel it and they're not going to come back. So, yeah. I have to share something with you that's really touched me. This really moved me because I remember when I did my MBA 10 years ago, and I guess I'm showing my age here, but did this case study, the Sears Employee Value Chain case study. And okay. essentially what Sears did to, as part of their turnaround was to really serve the employees and make sure the employees were happy with the, exactly the same principle that a happy employee will lead to a happy customer. So you should Google it if you haven't heard about it. It's called the Sears Employee Value Chain Case Study. I will and, check it out after this call. Thank you. Yeah, and that is exactly the same principle. So fantastic. Well done on doing that. That's brilliant. So Yeah, so one, one trick I would recommend people do is they go and check out Zappos Insights. Okay. I think that I'm using the right term. I'm not uh, going on my browser right now, but Zappos Insights, they they have a, I don't know, it's $39 a month, something like that. Mm-hmm. You can go and sign up and, and learn how they, they, they love having people come and get educated on how they treat their customers, how they create okay. core values, how they educate customer service. A lot of it's service oriented, which I think is great, a great way to be. Everyone is in the business of customer service, I think, at the end of the day. Yes. So I would look at Zappos Insights. And then the you know sort of great thing that an impact on our business early on was a book. In fact, I'm looking at it right now called Mastering the Rockefeller Habits hmm. by Vern, Vern Harnish. Okay. And so that book you know, conceptually talks about core values as well, mm-hmm. you know, talks about establishing a rhythm in your business of communication mm-hmm. with your employees and your, your planning. Mm-hmm. And so if you have a rhythm of planning quarterly, monthly, weekly, daily, that you can actually achieve things faster, everyone can be on the same page, and that helps to alleviate stress. So we actually went ahead and spent a bunch of money, you know, we're spending thousands of dollars a month to have them come and coach us as a business. And that, that was actually was a good investment for a while. And then we were able to continue that on our own. But you, know, you can get a lot of the core and ideas of that from the book, Mastering the Rockefeller Habits. Okay, cool. Uh, I have to also say, uh, I'll make a note of that, Mastering the Mm -hmm. Rockefeller Habits, I'll I'll put that in the show notes. I have to also mention that I really feel a connection with you because I too stepped off the corporate cliff at about 42 (laughs) after having worked in the corporate world. right there. Yeah, for about uh, uh, 25 odd years. And I, I think it's wonderful to see that you've taken the best parts of the corporate world and there's there are some not so nice parts and and you've imbibed them into your business and you've taken things like culture and and values which typically a small business doesn't really come across or doesn't right. spend a lot of time thinking about and to me having a good culture and good values is so critical to growth because you can't regulate everything, but if you have the right culture and if you have the right engagement from within the business, the business will naturally grow. Yeah. Things will happen without you being involved. Yes, yes. I mean, the trust, you know, like with Amazon, (laughs) you're able to trust people. I mean, sure, you know, there are some characters in companies like Apple and Amazon that can be quite tyrannical. But at the end of the day, if the overall culture of the company is one that engenders trust and engenders decision making and pushes it down to the extent that they can reasonably do so, the faster the business is going to grow. And I like to think of employees as customers in a way as well, because yeah. ultimately, if you think of them as your customers, then they will serve your, for, for the purposes of this discussion, if you think of your employees as your primary customers, and then your people who are paying you for your services, your secondary customers, you make sure you look after your primary customers, and they will then look after your secondary customers. Uh, so true. And, you know, I think the magic is what happens when the boss is not in, you know, in the store. Yeah. 
And if you can set things up where you literally, you know, people know that you, you trust them, they are engaged, they're happy, then they're naturally going to, you know, yeah. uh, move the business forward, take care of the customer. You don't have to watch the till, all those kinds of things, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly right. And, you know, I have to say I'm a bit of an Apple tragic. And one of the reasons I feel so drawn to that company is because of the culture in the company. I know there's been a lot of stuff written about jobs where he was quite a tyrant and so on, but there's another book coming out, which puts a different perspective on things. And I think that he did care a lot about certain things and sure he was very demanding of other things but at the end of the day if you go into an apple store and you look at the level of engagement that average employee has and the degree to which they want to help you the way in which they incentivize i mean they're not in incentivized on sales so mm -hmm. you know the incentive structures the whole culture of the company is very much driven towards giving maximum value to the customer which i believe is a large part reason for their growth feel free to disagree but <laughs> um, well uh, given the amount of money that I've given to Apple. <laughs> Actually, I had my first, I used to be a software developer on the, uh, on the Mac back in the eighties. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, I mean, I had, uh, my brother introduced me to Mac. Yeah. I think it was a Mac plus that he, he, he sold to me. And, uh, and then I've had, I, I went to windows for a little while, but yep. then I came back home right. <laughs> back in the late nineties. So yeah, it's, uh, I, I definitely agree. I guess I'm a Mac, I'm an Apple fanboy as well. Oh, okay. Right. right. Are you going to get the but Apple watch? I don't have it yet. I was going to wait, wait for everybody else to work out the bugs first. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Good yeah. <laughs> I was going to get it mainly for the fitness aspects of it. But. Yeah. Okay, so we've touched on some really great points here. How does a person get started in creating valuable and sustainable systems within their business that will automatically lead to high growth? We've already touched on a couple of points there. We've talked about mm -hmm. how they should build employee engagement. They need to treat their employees with respect and consider their employees as ambassadors of the organization. Another one was they can sign up to the Zappos Insights service and read the books that we talked about, which was Mastering the Rockefeller Habits and Delivering Happiness. Any other tips that you have for yeah, well, I mean, something that served us really well is uh, figuring out ways to prioritize what we're working on, mm -hmm. and and that is that is one of the things that is talked about in in the Rockefeller Habits and coming up with the rhythm is sort of you know what are your top three to five things? What's your top one of those you know five mm -hmm. things? So you always know at any given time what the focus is, and every and that's been communicated to you know, to the team. Mm -hmm. And so if you're in the midst of developing new products or launching a new campaign or optimizing a campaign that you're, you, you know what to do next and what's going to give you maximum leverage, it kind of gets back to, you know, Pareto's, uh, mm -hmm. the Pareto's law, mm -hmm. right? The 80-20 so principle. The 80-20 principle. Uh, so I, I don't say that we do it perfectly, but we do think about it. Mm -hmm. In fact, we were just on a call today. We work with a lot of consultants and, you know, thank goodness our, our business is at a scale where we can afford to bring in fresh thinking. Mm -hmm. So I do kind of bring in new ideas. And I, getting back to even my, when I first started in the business, I was part of masterminds. I paid to be a part, you know, paid for seminars. I got coaching programs. Perry Marshall was one of, I, I was in a private coaching program with Perry cool. Marshall teaching me how to do PPC way back when. So were you with, sorry I, to interrupt you, but were you with Mike Rhodes there? Because I just interviewed him and he was talking about being in Perry Marshall's group as well. I wasn't in a group with Mike, but I would get on calls with Perry and his brother, you know, okay. at least once a month. And so that that was really interesting. And so that prioritization process has been 
you know, so anyway, I was just on a call with one of our consultants and we, you know, we're saying, okay, wow, we have all these things that we can, we're looking at a specific campaign that's doing really well for us, but you know, how can we make it better? What do we need to focus on? And, uh, the, it actually took the consultant to actually to kind of re- remind us cause he was a former, like a McKinsey consultant, a very, right. you know, propeller spinning very fast. He says, well, let's just come up with the list. Let's do a, an analysis of how long it would take to implement each of these items on the list, sort of, you know, how big is each box? Mm-hmm. And then also kind of do a, a guesstimate as to how much, you know, upside we're going to get from implementing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And use that to figure out what the priority should be. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> oh, gee, that makes perfect sense. Yes. Right? Yes. Just amount of effort and how much and how much benefit we're going to get. Yes. And sometimes benefit is not always measured in in dollars. Yes. Right. There's other there's other benefits. There's Absolutely. goodwill. There's customer experience. There's oh. other things. So yeah, we look at that a lot. And the other thing that works well for us is that we do have a, a daily. I, I do this in a number of contexts because uh, I, I have multiple businesses. But one thing that I do that has been very effective for me is this concept of a, a daily stand-up meeting. Okay. And so the concept is very simple. And it's actually part of a, a methodology called Scrum, which yes. is uh, agile development. Uh-huh. And so one of the things they do is a daily stand-up and you get together with your team and you quickly go around the room and say, what did you do yesterday uh-huh. to help achieve what we're working on right now in this period of time? Uh-huh. What What do you plan to do today? Uh-huh. You know, and then do you have any blocks, anything preventing you from achieving your objective? And we, you know, we do that and we go around and then we also look at uh, some key performance indicators, at, you know, two or three, nothing big. Uh-huh. And the whole thing might take us 10 minutes. Right. But just that whole exercise, because we're start, we're working on a project that's prioritized. We know it's going to maybe get, you know, it's uh, it's going to be done iteratively. But, you know, we move so much faster than waiting like for a weekly meeting. Yeah. Because you know what happens. You know, oh, yeah. you get in a weekly meeting. No one wants to be there anyway. It's probably on a Monday morning. It's two hours long. Yeah. You know, everyone says, yeah, yeah, I'll do. I'll get to that. Who's got that? Who owns it? And then a week later, you figure out, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. there was a block that should have been fixed yep. four days ago and it wasn't. I think it's just that there's, about a week later. there's so much noise in these long weekly meetings. And I really like that you have a stand-up meeting because that really – drives the point home about hustle, you know, just get mm-hmm. to the point and move on. I've been part of quite a few stand-up meetings towards the end of my career in the corporate world, and I did find them quite useful because it really drives the point home. We're not here to sit down and get comfortable. We're just here to, yeah. you know, say what we want to say and move on. So, right. yeah, I, I'm a big uh, believer in the agile and scrum methodology too. Uh, to your earlier point about a minimalistic approach to tasks. I too try and adopt the same thing. And I have these uh, cards that I write on. And then on ah, the back of okay. it, I have, I just write one of the, so I have 10 tasks that you I write on the card. You pick the most important one. I pick the mm-hmm. most important one. And I mean, I've scratched off a few now, but typically I'd have right. just one task on the other side. And, yeah. and that way I'm just focusing on the one thing. And the power of having it on paper as opposed to on your computer is there's less distractions. And, you know, I still use things like the things app or OmniFocus or whatever, but Having it on a piece of paper is very powerful. Also, when Jobs came back to Apple after he had been kicked out in the 80s and he was reinstated after he, after Next bought Apple, mm-hmm. one of the first things he did was scrap, I think there were 400 lines of products and he got it down to about yeah. 10. And people still hate him for having done that. But I believe that that was one of, while it did a lot of damage, I accept that. And it was, it was quite ruthless. It was probably one of the most important things that had to happen for Apple to survive. No, he clearly saved the company by, right. you know, focusing on what, what he thought would be core. 
and yet still had to go and raise some money from his friend, Bill Gates. Yes, he did. <laughs> and That's do, right. you know, hat in hand, which is tough, right? That is which right. is tough to do. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. and, and Bill Gates is also always cast as the, the villain, but he was very gracious to to help jobs out and and i think what he's doing in his life today as well is pretty amazing but that's fantastic so a minimalistic approach to tasks and task lists is good having stand up meetings having a culture that encourages cutting to the chase rather than just fluff that that's another important takeaway i got from what you said what are the most common challenges you've seen with people getting started with building a strong culture and systems in their business and what's worked best in terms of overcoming these challenges? Well, you know, one thing I think people think that uh, just technology, getting software is going to solve the problem for them. Mm-hmm. You know, say, oh, we just need a project management solution. And we've tried, you know, many different approaches to project management, different tools. But it's not the tool that's going to save you, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's OmniFocus or the other, the other app you mentioned or the mm-hmm. project management software. We use something called Teamwork PM, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it really is fundamentally the uh, you know, having a simple process, which, you know, getting back to the agile development, I like that, the simplicity mm-hmm. of that. And it's, it's amazing to hear that companies like even Microsoft now have hundreds of now scrum teams. Mm-hmm. That are that are operating and building software now. It's just the it's de rigueur, I guess, if that's the right word, mm-hmm. of uh, how how things are done. And I think you can do that in a marketing organization. You can do that in a health supplement company like mine. In whether it's product development, marketing, customer care, operations, those those kinds of things, they can all benefit from this from this process. Then you can figure out what tools you, you're going to use. I mean, there you could be as simple as a a Google spreadsheet, mm-hmm. or as exotic as you know there are some scrum tools available. But the idea is really simple. I'm sitting here, I'm actually next to me as a whiteboard that's got the to-do, mm-hmm. the in-progress and done columns mm-hmm. with, with post-it notes on it. Yep. So you don't need fancy technology, especially if, if you're in a room together, you can just have the whiteboard and have your post-it notes, yes. which there's a great episode of a, of a show. And again, I don't know if you guys get this called uh, Silicon Valley. It's on HBO. Yes. Actually, Dan Norris mentioned it too, I think, in my interview with him a little bit earlier. Yes, I've, I've heard. Did, 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 did he talk about the, the, scrum, the scrum scene? In, in, no, I don't yeah. think he talked about that show. So but there's talked- a scene where, yeah, there's a, there's a, like, he's a project manager and he's sort of the organizer of, of the, uh, uh, helping the company figure out a process. And he introduces Scrum. And it was a great little education on how Scrum works yeah. in like three minutes. Cool. In that in that comedy, I love Silicon Valley. I'm waiting for the next series to come out. So, cool. got to check it out. I'll definitely yeah. check it out. I'll put that in the show notes as well. Okay, so the biggest challenge is. Oh, sorry, I'm fumbling. I'll edit this out. That's okay. No, no worries. <laughs> Don't edit it out. People love it when you know really? I, I make mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. I'll keep it in then. Yeah. So, one of the biggest misnomers I too have seen because I worked with systems a lot in the corporate world and even since is people seeing the system as the end in itself instead of recognizing that it's a means to an end. And Mm -hmm. a system can be as simple as the card that I held up earlier, whether you're using, you know, something like things or OmniFocus or whatever, it doesn't matter. The point is you're using a system to get something done and it doesn't have to be overly complex. And if the system is getting in the way of completing the task, then the system doesn't belong in your business. Uh, it's a little bit like Apple's approach to design where they say, Johnny Ive says that design's got to be so good that it's got to be invisible. And it's all about the customer experience. And when you can create a product that is completely invisible to the customer from a user perspective almost, 
Mm-hmm. then you've created good design. Yeah. And I see the similar analogy applying to systems and, and processes. Yeah, I'd agree. And I think, you know, you know, what you said about focus, and I know that's so hard for people, especially people like me that, you know, entrepreneurs have ADD yeah. to, to some <laughs> degree. That's probably one of the reasons why we're, you know, we're successful is we can manage yeah. a certain number of things at the same time. But being able to, you know, one key thing, and I think you know this, is the ability to block out blocks of time and be able to focus on a ta- on a on a project, something important. And again, it's that twenty percent that uh, that twenty yeah. percent that's going to yield the eighty percent of the results. So, you know, one, a couple breakthroughs that I've had uh, that have helped me out is I have learned how to use assistance. Mm-hmm. And even if you're just getting started in a business, mm-hmm. you can, you know, I've, I've had an MBA level assistant, for example, when I first uh, had my my first assistant, she happened to be a, a stay at home mom mm-hmm. that wanted. You know, would like wanted to work from home, and I, it was yeah. a great opportunity for her, and we we really enjoyed working together. I have assistants and and people that I work with in the Philippines, for example, now, mm-hmm. and that has helped alleviate a, a lot of the mundane workload that, that allows me to then to focus on more important tasks. Yeah. So, and that's something that you know maybe some people don't they don't think about. Or it's like, how do I use an assistant? Mm. Right. And you could just start with basic things such as going through your email inbox. I know that yeah. sounds crazy if you're Hillary Clinton or something like that. <laughs> but, you know, if it's business, if it's business correspondence and, you know, you need to have someone that's reviewing things, getting rid of the junk, scheduling things, following up with people, that can really help you manage. You know, for me, I get hundreds of messages a day right. and that's that's a big help. Or following up and just, you know, being able to outsource something to that assistant that might take you more time. Mm-hmm. But if you value, your, let's say, if I value my time at $2,000 an hour, mm-hmm. okay, then it would be ridiculous for me to do something that someone that's paid 10 bucks an hour can do. Exactly. Absolutely. You know, and I, it's really insane. Uh, so stop doing that. <laughs> that's, that is exactly what I say to my clients. I, I right. completely agree with you. I think also letting go of certain aspects of your business is hard. But one of the things I found useful when it comes to working with assistants is making a list of the tasks that you tend to do and then – it gives you some ideas as to what things you could outsource. And the way I've tried to wean myself into it is by starting with something small where, you know, I feel like I'd I'd build the trust with that individual assistant and go from there. So I'm working with a gentleman called Henry at the moment, who's based in the Philippines and he's a fantastic worker, but I'm also starting to find out he has certain strengths and he's, you know, not so strong in other things. So I tend to, you know, funnel the work to him that I know that he's going to really enjoy doing and he's going to do a great job at. Yep. And now that the trust is starting to develop, I'm able to give him access to things that I previously would have felt a bit awkward about or a bit worried about doing, like passwords and stuff like that. So trust right. is something that is earned. But if you treat the other person with respect, it comes back to what we were talking about before, and you earn their trust and they earn your trust, then you can always start to outsource more. So it's something you ease into, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And there's something that else uh, that's kind of interesting that I'm seeing develop is it, I have an assistant in the Philippines and I have a team in the Philippines and I find that, that I'm developing that assistant into a leader mm-hmm. and uh, that leader can manage the Filipino team when I'm not there. Yeah. But that's really helpful because you don't, you know, you want to develop managers. Yes, absolutely. And I, 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 you know, rather than try to be the superhero. Yes. So, you know, it'd be great to have those idealistic companies where everyone reports to the, to the yeah. CEO and, and so everyone's, everyone's equal and, yeah. you know, but the, the reality is people do want some structure and they want some sure. leadership and, and, uh, someone they can consult with yes. and get feedback from if the 
the big boss is not around. Absolutely. And as mm-hmm. you said earlier on, entrepreneurs like us tend to have ADD. So we're not always the most focused people. And sometimes structure helps us as well. In my interview with Neil Patel, he was actually the first person I interviewed in this podcast series. Mm-hmm. And he mentions the same thing that, you know, he says, actually, I've got ADD and I'm, you know, I can be very unfocused. And so all of us st- struggle with that. You know, we, we tend to have very short attention spans and we need to really develop that through good structures, even for ourselves. Well, this is, everyone gets to witness this, my daughter. <laughs> hey, honey. My daughter's coming in because she's going to give me the hook soon. Because uh, right. she just, I'm, uh, my, my wife is, she has a, a ladies club that she goes, she's going to go to right now. So okay. I'm, uh, I've got daddy duty tonight. Okay, well, we can actually wrap it up there if you like. The last thing I was going to ask about was the you know, best action steps that someone can take to get started with building a highly sustainable business. But we've already touched on a lot of no, those. No, no, well, let's, let's go through that because I'm, I'm very excited about this. And I'm obviously uh, biased because yeah. I chose the path of having a, uh, an online health business. I think a lot of us are passionate about health. Maybe people are scratching their heads as to what kind of business, you know, I, yeah, I'd love to have an online business, but what, what kind of business, mm. well, how am I going to serve people? And I think one thing that really drives success is having a purpose and serve and delivering and service mm-hmm. to a large number of customers. Okay? okay. You know, Apple does it through, you know, super high quality products that, you know, I, I have products from Apple that I've had for, you know, in one yeah. case, almost 10, 10 years right. and still works. Right. So super high quality products. In my case, super high quality dietary supplements that do what I say they do. Mm-hmm. And the reason I prefer the health business is because in the supplement business, you're dealing with consumables. Mm-hmm. So people don't, you know, it's like food. People don't take your fish oil and then stop taking, then don't need it next month. You need to take it day in and day out. So I I love that aspect. It's like a subscription service, but you don't have to come up with new content every month for the subscription. Right, exactly. Yes, (laughs) recurring income. It's recurring income, so powerful. You know, one of the things that I do is uh, in addition to running Real Dust Nutrition, I also run a, a coaching and education arm Mm -hmm. called healthprofitsacademy.com. Right. And so I actually educate people how to get into, if they want to develop, you know, hey, if I'm trying to figure this out and get into a business, they can uh, learn how to launch and grow just like we did at Real Dose Nutrition, a successful online dietary supplement company. Fantastic. So that's, yeah. uh, And it's all under the umbrella of ethical health marketing, doing it the right way and servicing a large group of people, potentially in in our case, hundreds of thousands of people. Over time, it could be millions of people. Right. And you touched on another really valuable point there, actually, which was recurring income. Our, our common friend, James Schramko, talks about it a lot. In fact, he talked in an earlier episode about it. So if somebody wants to learn about how to get into the health business, they can go to healthprofitsacademy.com? Yes. Uh, right now, the, the, the program is closed. Mm-hmm. But we are uh, going to have another class starting up in June. Fantastic. So uh, if they go there, they can they could get on the waiting list and, and find out more information. It could be notified of information later. Excellent. And if somebody wants to get know more about your business or get in contact with you, they can just do, do it via your website, healthprofitsacademy.com or via realdosenutrition.com. Yeah, they could um, send me an email at buck mm-hmm. at healthprofitsacademy.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, if they had a question as a result of this podcast or wanted more information about the uh, the program, that sort of thing, or just have a random question, I'd be happy. You know, this is your audience. I'd be happy to get back to them. Thank you so much, Buck. It's just been wonderful to host you. So I look forward to talking to you again soon, and I hope to keep in touch. Ash, it's great. It's great to be here, and it's great to make a new acquaintance uh, and a new friend. So thank you for inviting me on your show. You're most welcome. Talk to you again soon. Take care.
When you decide to take your business to the next level through good quality business coaching and actionable online strategies, head over to ProductiveInsights.com and book a free 30-minute consultation with me. Thanks for listening to the Productive Insights Podcast. You can find all the links in the show notes below this episode on ProductiveInsights.com. You can also ask questions in the comment section that Ash personally answers. How can Ash help you today?